about this a little bit in Sunday school, about this woman at the well who we don't have a name for, but we certainly have an amazing account of who she is and what she did. So here's what it says in St. John 4. Let's just bow our heads for a minute and then we'll read it. Lord, we just thank you for this uh, great occasion to share your word and to learn your word, to sing your praises, to ask you for help and to give you thanks for what you've already helped us with. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we call the Lord's Day. And we ask you this day that you be glorified and may your people be edified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a short account, well, not a super short account, but we just want to use part of this account in St. John chapter 4, verse 39, 439. Here's what it says. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus. You know, before I read the rest of it, let me just pause a minute and give you just a two-minute background, backdrop on what, what this is about and why this part of the account is so important. So Jesus um, was going to the northern part of Palestine, and typically the way you would do that if you were an observing Jew is you would go up the road near the Sea of Galilee and go north. Imagine going from Akron to Cleveland. So the most direct path from Akron to Cleveland is probably, I don't know, Route 8, I-77, pretty straight cut. And that's the way that um, uh, Jews would get to Samaria. But because the Jews hated the Samaritans so much, for them to get to, say, Mentor, rather than coming up through Cleveland, they would go to Youngstown and come around to avoid, to avoid coming straight up, to avoid going through Samaria. They would make this real long uh, roundabout trip, which was longer, more dangerous because of bandits and robberies. And it, it wasn't the most direct path from the standpoint of saving resources. So Jesus says, I must needs go through Samaria, which is lingo for I got to go through Samaria, regardless of how their traditions are. And regardless of the hangups you guys have, I'm going through Samaria. But what he really knew was that he was going to meet this woman at the well. And so he meets this woman at the well, who you all know about. She's been married five times. She's living with a man that's not her husband. You know, she's coming for water in the middle of the day, which was non-kosher because typically women would go and get water in the cool of the day, preferably in the morning while it's before the sun got to its highest point so that they would have water for the whole day and they wouldn't be carrying these waters. You know, a gallon of water weighs 8.34 pounds. Ask me why I know that because I used to work in water management. So it's 8.34 pounds. So if they're carrying five gallons of water, they're carrying well over 40 pounds of water. And if you see some of the pictures, even if you look at the, you know, the series, The Chosen, or some of the other series about Palestine in the first century, you saw ladies with a pole and they would have a jug of water on both sides. You know, so these women were carrying well over 80 pounds of water uh, almost every day. I mean, I, that had to be hard on their shoulders and their lower back. And I mean, it was a tough job. So they would do it in the cool of the day so they weren't dealing with the heat of the sun. And so here she is at the sixth hour, which is high noon, because whatever reasons, you know, I don't know if she was late that day or she didn't want to bump into the women who were gossiping, perhaps. Maybe she didn't want to deal with the ridicule of being married five times. Maybe some of the women that were coming to the well uh, were now married to one of her exes or she had taken one of their exes. Who knows what the story was, but she was there at a time that wasn't, an ideal time to be gathering 
40 to 80 pounds of water, okay? And so while she's getting water, Jesus talks to her. I'm, I'm assuming by the sequence of the events, Jesus was already sitting by the well as the woman from Samaria came to get water, right? So the woman comes and Jesus says, can I have a glass of water? She said, you being a Jew are asking me for water? What's up with that? We're sworn enemies. We don't even have any remote communication. And Jesus said, well, if you knew who it was that was asking you, if you knew you know, that I was the gift of God and that I could give you living water, you would be asking me for this living water so that you wouldn't have to come here anymore for water. So this dialogue goes on and she says, well, you know, you don't even have anything to gather water with. How are you going to give me water? And Jesus let her know who he was and what he could do. Excuse me. So she, she goes back and forth to, through this little banter, this little defensive, you know, I'll say debate on theology and Judaism. And so we get to this point where she's talking to Jesus and they come to a truce. She surrenders. And the Bible says that when she surrenders, we pick it up at verse 39 of chapter 4 because she's now given her heart to the Lord. We don't get the specifics of the, how the conversion occurred. Like we don't get the uh, dynamics. But uh, what we get is um, we get this we get this amazing after story that kind of fills in some of the blanks. And here's where verse 39 picks up at, guys. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, they believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. By the way, that phrase, he told me everything I ever did, that's code for he basically read my life story. And he, he basically exposed all of the secrets, all of the dark closets, all the skeletons. He basically addressed all of that. We don't see it all in the condensed version of John 4, because this very same John at the end of his book in chapter 21 said, if everything that Jesus said and done were written, even the volumes of the world could not contain the volumes. So we don't get a play-by-play, word-for-word, verbatim conversation. We get this condensed synopsis of this conversation between Jesus, which, by the way, according to some Bible uh, students that studied this a lot deeper than I did, in the Greek said that this conversation was the, the largest and the longest conversation that Jesus had with anyone directly in the Gospels. So this, ex- this conversation was extended. I think it started somewhere around verse 3 or 4, and it goes up to verse 42 and beyond. So this is an amazing dialogue going on between Jesus, one that surpasses all the other dialogues that he had with an individual. So, so we get to this point where he, she says, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. This is, to me, very reminiscent. If you guys remember the road to, to Emmaus conversation, when Jesus connected with these two cats, that were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about a two-mile journey. I told you guys about the logistics of this. So they're, they're, they're walking. Jesus popped in on the conversation, say, hey, what y'all talking about? And say, hey, did you just come up, climb out from under a rock? You know, haven't you heard about what went on in, in Jerusalem? So they have this conversation, and Jesus commences to break down the entire Old Testament as it relates to him. And the Bible concludes with these guys saying, did not our hearts burn within us when he availed the word to us? 
what a, what a com combination there. But at the end of that journey, they said, oh, please don't go. Can you stay with us longer? And Jesus did come and stay with them a little longer. That's what this reminds me of. These Samaritans said, can you stay with us longer? Please don't leave. I, you know what I think? I, I, this this kind of re reminds me of the idea. When you've been touched by the Lord, when you've had an encounter with Jesus, when you've come into his presence, when you've met with him, when you've really connected with him, you don't want to go. You don't want to be without him. You don't want him to leave. You don't want to lose that feeling. You don't want to have any kind of disconnection from what he's done because you know when you're in his presence, hearing his word, feeling his touch, connecting with his power, being blessed by his favor, his presence around you, on you, in you, through you, under you, you don't want him to go. You don't want to leave. Amen. You don't want to go. And so they didn't want him to leave. So he stayed a couple more days. And the men went on to say for, for um, long enough, he stayed two days long enough for many more Many more. This was his mission. This is why it says he must, the King James Version, Rosie, says he must needs go through Samaria, which is poor grammar, but it really, what it means is he had, a, he had a definite necessity. It was imperative <laughs> that he walks through Samaria, all right? And he did. And they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. And boy, there's just so much theology there. That's just packed. Oh my goodness. Oh, that is just so, that is just so beautiful. This, this testimony speaks volumes about what the woman must have communicated to them. How could this five-time divorcee, how could she convince men, men of all people, men who didn't even regard women in public if they were of, of an orthodox nature, men who didn't even allow women to testify in a court of law to provide eyewitness testimony, men who were very chauvinistic and demeaning to women. How, what kind of status did she have that provided her this platform where these guys not only listened, but the Bible says believe. And that's the same word in the Greek that's used for faith. It's the same word in the Greek that's used for trust. It's pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S in Greek. And it means that there's a trust, there's a connection, there's a faith, there is a, a, an explicit agreement with what is being said. And these guys agree with her that this is the Messiah. And the Bible says that they made that statement and said, not only, not that we, we didn't just believe because of what you said, now we have just, we've heard him for ourselves. It was a confirmation. I think the Lord came to add additional confirmation to her testimony that he was in fact the Messiah. Amen? So I just, I just made a note. I was, and I'm almost done. I, I meant to have like a little chart board up here. I, I, I told the Sunday school class that I wrote down, I wrote down just how this conversation went from a, uh, from a statistical standpoint in terms of the, the conversation and the words you use in the actual Greek. If you look at John 4, 9, you don't have to turn to it, but the lady spoke 11 words. Watch this progression, guys. I was, I was hoping to have this up here so I could allow you to see it graphically or visually. But this is an amazing progression. So in John 4, 9, she spoke 11 words to Jesus. In John 4, 11 through 12, she spoke 42 words to Jesus. You all with me? In John 4, 15, she spoke 13 words to Jesus. Okay? But watch what happens. Now Jesus says, 
she says, I want this water. I want this living water so I don't have to be thirsty and come here anymore dealing with these gossipy, hateful women and all the, all the ridicule I have to deal with when I come to the well or dealing with this hot sun at 12 noon out in Palestine. Give me this water. I'm down with that. Jesus says, sure, I got you. Go bring your husband. And when Jesus said that, her word count dropped from, she's spoken now a total of 66 words. Well, uh, 42 and 13 is 55. Yes, she's spoken 66 words up until now in the Greek. Here's where the word count goes to. When Jesus said, go and bring your husband, in the Greek it says, husband no have. Three words. The English says, she says, I don't have a husband in the King James Version. In the actual Greek grammar, it's husband don't have. Three words. The point that I'm making is, is that she's really a chatty and verbose all this time. But when Jesus calls her out, when he asks her to face her past, when he asks her to confess and repent, when he asks her to acknowledge her sins, when he asks her to come clean and, and own her past, her word count drops to three. I ain't got no husband. No husband, no have. Because the guy I'm living with is just, you know, he's just a house, he's a house partner. And Jesus, he doesn't condemn her. Watch this. He doesn't do what some of us might do. Oh, you've been horrible. You've been bad. Because number one, we, Jesus knows, but we don't know what the, what the causes of the divorces were. We don't know what the backstory is. A woman, by the way, in Palestine in the first century could not get a divorce on her own. Doesn't matter what the husband does. She can't file for a divorce. She's not even allowed to submit a petition for a divorce. She can ask her husband, will you please divorce me? But according to Jewish law in the first century, she could not initiate action to get a divorce on her own. So just by that alone, the men did it. Either they died and she was a widow five times, or they divorced her, or a combination thereof. But the fact of the matter is, she's not the worst person in the world here. She could be the victim. She could be the victim. We don't know. But she's certainly not the victim when she's living with a man that's not her husband. That's on her. She can't blame anybody for that. I'm just amazed at how Jesus deals with her as I close. He was gentle, he was non-judgmental, he was compassionate, he was personable, he was kind, he was sweet to her, and he let her know what she had done. And the whole conversation did a 180. Everything changed. Her combativeness, her, her, her defensiveness, her argumentativeness, all of that changed. Her whole demeanor, perhaps, went a different direction. And by the way, that's what conversion is. I looked up the word in the Greek, and the word conversion, because it's, it's not used in this particular context, but it is certainly used in the Gospels. In a, in, a, in a major way, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, he says, truly I say unto you, unless you are converted, Matthew 18, 3, and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. I, I went through that, and that word conversion in the Greek means 
metatrepo, or, or actually it means met, metatrepo, and we, we know meta from metamorphosis means change, transformation, same thing in Romans 1, 12, 1 and 2. So Jesus said, unless you're transformed, unless you're changed, and by the way, that Greek word there, the, uh, the metatrepo, also means turn around. It, it means that you, you, turn, you, turn a, you turn around, you make a turn, you make an about face. I think about the song that we sing, you know, I, I, I love the song that Rick and Deanna sings, God Turn It Around. I think of the song that we sing by Israel Halton, Turn It Around. And I think of what repentance is, what transformation is, it's basically turning around. You're going south and now you turn north and say, I'm going back to God like the prodigal son did in Luke 15. He went back home. He went back. He just turned around and said, I'm going back. It's humiliating. It's embarrassing. I'm admitting failure. I'm admitting sin and wrongdoing. But I got to do it because I can't live with myself otherwise. It's true transparency. It's true conviction. It's true repentance, ladies and gentlemen. When we really, really, saints, when we turn around, when we say, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not just going to try to be good on my own. I'm going to forsake the bad, and I'm going to turn the other direction. That's what's happening with this woman. And it's just so beautiful because even though we don't see all the nuances and the specifics of how this conversion occurred, we know there was a metamorphosis. We know there was a change because she said, it sounds like to me, you're a prophet. And then she starts to discuss praise and worship. She starts to discuss worship and, like, and logistics and, and geography and mountains and altars. And she said, wait, 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 wait. We, we, we ain't trying to go there. I love the fact that you Samaritans, you know, think you know what you're doing. You don't even know who you're worshiping. You don't even know how to worship. You don't even know where to worship. Say, so let's not talk about that. He said, I'm the Messiah. The one, you, the one who speaks to you, I am he. That's one of those I am statements in John. It's about seven of them. I am. When, they, when you hear that term to put together in a, in a sequential order, I am, spoken by Jesus, that's his reference to his deity. That's his reference. That's him declaring his divinity. Going all the way back to Exodus, when God told Moses to tell the people when they want to know who sent you, tell them I am that I am sent you. That's Jesus. Amen? Is this exciting to you guys? Am I the only one that's, you know, feeling like I've had 10 cups of undecaffeinated coffee? <laughs> I just think that this is just a fantastic conversion because, listen, as I close, I've been saying that, but it's so subtle. This, this conversion is just so subtle. It's so sweet. It's not one of those smack you in your mouth, knock you in the head type, knock down, drag out. This is just Jesus having a very, I believe, normal tone conversation with this woman, giving her peace, giving her freedom, giving her deliverance, right? I mean, it's just amazing to me. It's amazing to me that she is just so engaged in this conversation that when Jesus is done, when he reveals to her the great, magnificent I am statement, sister just leaves and leaves her coffee, coffee pot, leaves her water pot. I'm talking about coffee. Leaves her, leaves her water pot, goes running back to the village. And by the way, as I close, and you can see I'm closing my Bible. As I close, did you guys notice she didn't, she didn't go to the village and tell the women the Bible says that she went back to the village and told the man. 
the men, every man that would listen to her. Were they her exes? I don't know. Were they friends of her exes? I don't know. Were they relatives? I don't know. But she went to the men. I think, by the way, that's significant because women, as a rule, will follow their husbands. They will follow a godly man. If he wants to go in the right direction, usually his wife, if she loves him and loves the Lord, will follow him. She went to the quote-unquote heads of household. She went to the people that would be influencers, that would have weight, that would carry the ability to get other people to follow. And the Bible says it was men. And I thought that was just so courageous of her to go to the men and tell them about Jesus. And the men followed her out to meet Jesus, the Bible says. The men asked Jesus to stay two more days. The men became converted and said, we're going to believe in Jesus. The men said it's not just because of your testimony, but it's because we have seen him with our own eyes. We've heard him with our own ears. We know that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Mm. I have much more to say, but the food has arrived. And I promised Dev and Rez that I would keep things, keep the trains running on time today. So I'm going to stop, but I pray that you would just go back and explore John 4. Look at it in a fresh way. Drop all your preconceived notions. Drop all your prejudices. Forget about anything you've ever heard about John 4. And only read what's in the pages, on the pages. Just read the narrative. And I guarantee you, if you do it prayerfully, God will minister to you. And what an excellent witness for us to use to share with others to tell them about the goodness of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this woman. We don't know her name. We don't know her rank or serial number. We don't know anything about her other than that she was trying to collect some water at Jacob's well at 12 noon. But we do know the most important thing that ever happened in her life. And that is she was born again. She was converted. She met Jesus, God the Son. We ask, Lord, that you teach us from this lesson. Teach us from this passage. Help us to follow in your footsteps, to drop our prejudices, drop our isms, our schisms, our divisions, our racism, our sexism, our chauvinism, to drop, drop the things that make us, the classism that makes us think that we're better or, or superior to someone else, Lord. Help us to drop all these pretenses of importance, this arrogance and pride that we walk around with, sometimes undetected by us. Lord, help us to expose, have those things exposed to us so that we can see us the way you see us, Lord Jesus, that we can be completely transparent. Reveal our blind spots, Lord. Those things that we're tone deaf about, we ask you to just help us to develop more sensitivity and more caring about how we present in public and the image that we present and who we represent and how we look to others. And do they see Christ in us? Do they see you in us? Are we representing to the best of our ability? Are we giving the best representation and light of you, Lord? Help us to do that and want to do that. And give us the strength to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You guys are great.